guests, the Lord be with you. We gather this morning to do what we were made to do, to worship God together and then to worship God with our whole lives. And this morning, I want to begin by reminding you of who you are and who God is to us from one of the great Psalms, one of my favorites, Psalm 46. So hear these words as our call to worship this morning. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Thanks be to God. Let's stand and worship together.
Friends, I invite you to join together in a prayer of confession. We'll do so with words on the screen. I'll be one and you be all. Let's pray together. God of everlasting love, we confess that we have been unfaithful to our covenant with you and with one another. We have worshiped other gods, money, power, greed, and convenience. We have served our own self-interest instead of serving only you and your purposes. We have not loved our neighbor as you have commanded, and we have not rightly loved ourselves. Forgive us, gracious God, and bring us back into the fullness of our covenant with you and one another. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the New Testament, the book of Romans is a book of 16 chapters, and the whole first half of it is about our sinfulness as humans and of God's power to save us anyways. And right in the middle, chapter 8, verse 1, it says that there is therefore 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that chapter goes on to say that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. Let's join together in worship, praising Christ who is our hope in life and in death.
And friends, even as we have just sung, it is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we have peace with God and peace with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. Please take a moment and share a sign of that peace with one another. <clears throat> Good morning, friends of Fellowship Church. That was a long pause and an awkward uh, intro for you. I apologize. That was mostly my bad. My name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, and I just want to say welcome, uh, especially to those of you that might be visiting with us this morning, whether this be your first time or a couple times in. Uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit, if you're willing. Uh, we have some connection cards at the back of the sanctuary and also at the Welcome Center. As a community, we seek to live into our mission, which is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Some of the primary stewards of that mission uh, during the, our, our, in, within our ministry uh, is uh, our consistory, uh, our board of elders and deacons. And I just want to say I am feeling particularly grateful for that body uh, this morning, as many of them were here uh, Friday night and Saturday morning for our consistory retreat. We haven't been able to do this last couple of years, and so we were able to enjoy it the last couple uh, last couple of days. Uh, and so I'm feeling particularly grateful for those folks and their willingness uh, to be good stewards of that mission together as we considered what it means for us in the coming year. Today, right after this service, I'd like to send an ex extend a special invitation to you as we will be joining in prayer uh, for the ministries of Kids Hope and Hand to Hand, specifically uh, here. Uh, we'll start right at the Bell Tower and then head over to Lakewood School, one of our closest uh, relationally schools, both physically and relationally, uh, in proximity uh, to Lakewood Schools as we seek to care for uh, the people, the students that go there uh, and walk alongside of them through those ministries of Kids Hope and Hand to Hand. Next Sunday, it's a little bit different. So if you show up at 10, whatever time you normally come, 1035-ish, uh, we'll, you'll be, uh, the service will be done by then. So uh, we'll start at 930 next week, but we will be outdoors. We'll have coffee, I hope, because I'll need it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit later start for the first service, but uh, 930 next week, make sure you're here. If for some odd reason it rains, which it never rains on that weekend, uh, uh, we'll be uh, meeting right here in this place. But if we, it doesn't rain, which we're hoping and praying for, we'll be meeting right out here on the north parking lot uh, uh, for our outdoor worship service next Sunday at 930. And then the following Sunday is our kickoff. We know that many students and people have started school this week or are coming up this week starting school, uh, but we're going to kick off our church year uh, next Sunday, the following Sunday, September 11, with uh, our two services here, but then we'll be heading outside for a little party outside and some lunch. So please uh, consider joining us and, and don't make lunch plans for some, Sunday, September 11. We'll have some, some good stuff for you all then. Cool. Good stuff, eh? Uh, we, uh, just a couple of things. Um, one, 
uh, I mentioned some good stewards of our current uh, mission statement in our consistory right now, but one of the people that has been a significant part of this congregation for a long time and has served as president is Dick Scott. You'll see him in the bulletin. Uh, he had open heart surgery this week, and uh, some folks have been asking, or numerous folks have asked how he's doing, and he's doing well. His surgery was a little bit more than they thought, uh, but he's uh, in recovery and things are looking good for him. But he does ask, uh, if you can, try to refrain from giving him a call for about a week. He's getting kind of inundated. So uh, we've been asked to encourage people to pray from afar for a little while, and then we can keep showering uh, love and care for him uh, next week or so. The children that are ages three through third grade this morning can go to worship adventures with Miss Betsy. She's right back there, uh, head back there, and we'll, uh, you can have some fun. Uh, I'll be joining, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, 30 through, this is for th- students grades three through third grade. As we try to embody the generosity of our God, we give back to God what we confess already belongs to him in the giving of our tithes and offerings. A couple ways you can do that this morning are at the offering plates at the back of the sanctuary or by giving online uh, through our website. Let us continue in a spirit of worship as we stand and sing together.
with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we get to gather in your presence in a special way this morning to sing your praises, to confess our sins to you, to receive your grace and mercy, and to study your scriptures. Lord, as we continue our worship by opening your scriptures this morning, we pray that you would just continue to do a work in our hearts, pour out your spirit, and turn our hearts toward you that we may walk away changed. So open our minds, open our hearts, and open our hands this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. My name is Tiara. I am one of the pastors here. If I have not yet met you, uh, it's summer in West Michigan, so it's very likely that I've not yet met you. <laughs> uh, but um, this morning, um, our question comes to us from Genesis chapter 32. So you can start making your way there if you'd like to a little bit early. Uh, and the question is, what is your name? This is a very ordinary, very traditional question. Many of you ask that question regularly right in the atrium. What's your name? What's your name? Uh, it is the first question that people ask when they meet you, and it's hardly an existential question. It's rather a straightforward question. In fact, if you don't know how to answer that question, it probably indicates something existential, but for the most part, most of us can answer the question, what is your name? Years ago, I was at a conference, and the facilitator invited everyone to tell the story of how they got their name. And people went around the room telling stories of family members they were named after, a name that was maybe passed down from generation to generation or a name that came back from several generations ago. Some people told stories of dear family friends that they were named after, people that their parents loved dearly. Uh, and interestingly, a few people told stories of being named after their mom's favorite soap opera character because how else do you get a name like Sloan? My apologies if your name is Sloan. Uh, <laughs> so this prompt, I didn't know the story of how I got my name, so this prompted me to go back and ask the question of my own parents. And um, it, my name is Tiara. It's spelled like Earth in Spanish, so it's not like a tiara. Uh, and it literally means earth in every language, or dirt if you're a work crew in Guatemala. Um, 
but was, they got a, quite a kick out of that. Why did you name your kid Tierra? Only Americans, right? <laughs> so I was surprised to learn that I actually went nameless for a couple of days in the hospital. My mom was undecided. She was deciding between um, two names. Tierra was one of them, and I asked her if she remembered the other option, and she said, um, Sherylita. Um, now, we were on the phone, which was great, because she couldn't see the horror-stricken look on my face. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I kind of, like, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what happened? Like, how did you choose? Like, I was so horrified that I couldn't remember how the story turned out. And uh, so I asked her, you know, how did you choose? And she says, you know, the doctor dropped by to check on her and me and asked if everything, if she was ever going to pick a name for me. And uh, she told him that she was struggling, and then she, she offered both of the names to the doctor, and she said he, he looked at me, and, um, and he thought to himself, and he looked at her, and he goes, you know, I think you should go with Tierra. Thank God for doctors. <laughs> so names matter. Names matter. It's the reason that many of you spent quite a bit of time, energy, and effort to pick just the right name for your own children. Your parents spent quite a bit of time and effort to pick just the right name for you. Names matter. They follow you. We live up to our names, even the names that were given as a kid, names that were given by our siblings or, or by other kids on the playground. What is your name? That is the question that we find in our text for today, only it's not an introductory question in our text. It's actually a big existential life-changing question. And so it is also quite the story. And so hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 32, picking up in verse 24. So Jacob was left all alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then the man blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In today's text, we encounter a man named Jacob. And Jacob, the first detail of our text tells us, has been left all alone near the Jabbok River. Now, if this were a movie, this would be the moment when the, the voiceover from the main character would say something like, I bet you're probably wondering, how on earth did I get here? And that is a great starting question. Why exactly is Jacob all alone near the Jabbok River? Well, the answer to that is to recall a few key moments from Jacob's life, three moments to be exact. First, Jacob's birth. If you recall, Jacob is a twin. He has a brother. Does anyone remember the name of his brother? Esau, 10,000 fellowship points, redeemable for a free walk over to a school today. Uh, so, 
with prayer, with prayer. Uh, <laughs> so um, it's not just his brother, it's his twin. Now, some of you have seen those pictures online of like, like twins who are embracing each other just like they did in the womb. Yeah, not these two. These two fight. I mean, literally in the womb, they jostle each other, the text says. They're literally striking each other, so much so that their mother, Rebecca, cries out to God, what is going on in there? And God answers her, and he says to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. There's an explanation, first, of their jostling. There are two nations arising from your womb. And there's also a kind of pronouncement from God that the older will serve the younger. There's this grand reversal that we see come up over and over again in the scriptures, that the first shall be last, the last shall be first, the younger shall rule over the older. The younger son is the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There is, this is God's blessing over Jacob. But there's more. Rebecca finally gives birth to these, twin bo- to, to these twin boys, and Esau is born first, and he comes out red and completely covered in hair. This is coincidentally also how Chuck Norris emerged from the womb. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then his brother Jacob also emerges from the womb immediately after this, and he is grasping Esau's heel. And because he's grasping Esau's heel, they name him Jacob. Jacob in the Hebrew is Yaakov. Repeat after me, Yaakov. Yaakov. Uh, It means trickster or deceiver, but it literally means one who grabs the heel. One who grabs the heel. Now, how does that translate to trickster or deceiver? Well, think about it. If someone's walking along and you reach out to grab their heel, what happens? They fall. They trip. Yeah. So to be a heel grabber is to be someone who tries to make others trip and fall is to try to get ahead at the expense or the peril of others. Jacob literally comes out of the womb as a trickster, as a heel grabber, but it doesn't stop at his birth story. Because if you recall, he also conspires to deceive his father, which brings us to the second key moment in Jacob's life. When Isaac, their dad, had aged to the point of nearing death, he called his favorite son Esau to prepare a meal for him. Now, Esau grew up to be a hunter, and Isaac is clearly not a vegan because he wants one last bowl of his son's famous wild game stew before he passes away. So Esau, the dutiful son that he is, goes out and hunts and prepares um, a stew for him, and with the promise ringing in his own ears, because his father says to him, prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die." When you present the stew to me, I will give you my blessing. The word for blessing in the Hebrew is barak. I mean, you say barak. Barak. Uh, it literally means blessing uh, or praise or to, or to adore. Uh, in ancient Near Eastern cultures, the firstborn son, it was a patriarchal culture, not like our own time, but in that time, the firstborn son would receive a blessing from his father, and it was to grant the eldest son his father's status in the family, but also possessions and wealth. Why? So that the eldest son could become the conduit of blessing for the family and even the surrounding widows and orphans who would depend on the patriarch of a family for survival. This is the blessing that Isaac is preparing to give to Esau, his eldest son. Go and prepare my favorite wild game stew for me, and I will bless you, Isaac says to Esau. 
So Esau dutifully goes out to hunt game, anticipating his father's blessing, but his mother, Rebecca, has another idea. Because Rebecca doesn't favor Esau. She doesn't like wild game, doesn't like the way it smells up her kitchen. Uh, so <laughs> Jacob is actually her favorite. And so she conspires with Jacob to deceive Isaac. Well, Isaac is nearly blind. And so she says to her son, Jacob, I'll make the stew that your father likes. And then you go to him as though you are Esau, and he will then bless you. He will give you the blessing of the firstborn son. Now, there's an artist rendering of this. This is from 17th century. I cannot pronounce his name, but it's Italian. And um, you can see Rebecca kind of shushing Jacob. And that's sort of true. She does come up with the plan. But it actually is a little misleading because Jacob doesn't oppose. He does not object to her plan. In fact, when you read the text, his only objection is that he's not as hairy as his brother and his dad's going to know it's not him. That's his only objection, he says. And Rebecca has a solution to that. I will make you a hair suit. Try to think about that without gagging. I will make you a full body hair suit so that you can trick your dad. So gross. <laughs> so Jacob goes to his father with a stew. And after some additional trickery, his father confers the barak of the firstborn son on him. And when Esau hears of it, and Isaac too, but Esau in particular, when he hears about this, he is furious. He's angry. He holds a grudge. He grumbles under his breath about avenging himself. And Rebecca overhears his grumbling. In an effort to protect her boy, she decides to send him to her hometown, uh, Padan Aram, uh, to her brother Laban. You remember this, the story of Laban. But before, uh, before he leaves, Isaac speaks another blessing, another blessing over Jacob. Only this time, it is not merely the blessing for the firstborn son, he actually invokes God's blessing, God's barak over Abraham and Sarah. The blessing over Abraham and Sarah, that's from a um, long, long time ago. He says to, to them, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples, a nation of people. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a stranger, the land God gave to Abraham. And so Isaac goes, or sorry, Jacob goes on his way to Laban's house with this blessing, not just the blessing that he stole from Esau, but also this particular blessing, the Abrahamic blessing, ringing in his ears. Which brings us to moment number three, which is not really a moment because it takes place over several years, um, a couple of decades to be exact. But it all begins when Jacob finally makes it to Laban's town, um, and he sees a gal. He sees Rachel, who happens to be the daughter of Laban, the very brother that Jacob's mother sent him to for refuge. Laban is the father of both Leah and Rachel, and Jacob sees Rachel, and he falls in love with her at first sight. It's happening, he says. This is how God's barak plays out. He gets the girl, then all of his dreams come true. I mean, think about it for a second. He can't become a nation unless he has children, and he can't have children unless he meets a wife, and he can't meet a wife unless he's able to marry her. And so this begins the world's first Hallmark movie. New guy moves to town, coincidentally right around Christmas time, uh, and he sees a girl, and then he works his way into her heart and her family's respect, and they live happily ever after. And so it goes with Jacob. He agrees to work for Laban for how many years? 
seven years, seven years, 10,000 fellowship points. Uh, you guys are great with your trivia this morning. So uh, at the end of seven years, um, though, something interesting happens because Laban surprises him on his wedding night with his other daughter, Leah. And it seems that Laban is also a heel grabber, an older, more experienced heel grabber. He's the Jedi of heel grabbers, and Jacob has finally met his match. Now, Jacob is able to marry Rachel almost immediately, but he has to work another seven years. This guy's getting a lot of free labor from Jacob. Another seven years for Rachel's hand for a total of 14 years. But Laban doesn't just make him work twice as long for Rachel's hand. He also tries to cheat Jacob out of his wages once he's finally eligible for wages. Eventually, even Leah and Rachel start a little feud of their own. They, too, become heel grabbers. They compete to give birth to sons for Jacob. It's too many verses to add to the screens, but if you want to look at the text, it's Genesis 29 through 30. They even offer the women who work for them as servants um, to Jacob um, so that they can get more children, more sons on their team. Jacob's heel grabbing becomes his wives' heel grabbing largely because he is willing to cooperate and conspire with anyone that he possibly can. I mean, he cooperates with this scheme of Leah and Rachel because this is how, he thinks, this is how I will become a nation. Their, his heel grabbing becomes their heel grabbing. But there's a little extra tidbit. The reason God's people, one generation over, end up in Egypt is because Jacob's older sons, conspire to kill one of his favorite sons, his youngest son, Joseph, one of his youngest sons, Joseph. Joseph is their father's favorite, and they despise him for it. But they have pity on him, and instead of selling or instead of killing him, they sell him to Egyptian slaveholders. Great family. Uh, and then they lie to Jacob and pretend that he's been killed by an animal. They're willing to break their father's heart just to destroy their younger brother. Jacob's heel-grabbing becomes a family trait of heel grabbing, which is a word to us about how formation happens. It seems that formation of the next generation is less about what we say and more about what we do, what people see us do growing up. And that's key moment number three. Heel grabbing becomes a vicious habit, not only for Jacob, but also for the entire family. So I've read the story of Jacob with all of the trickery and deceit and manipulation and scheming and heel grabbing, and I've always wondered, gosh, this guy's character is the worst, which then got me thinking, why would God reward, why would God bless, why would God barak his deception? Why would God barak his heel grabbing, his schemes and manipulations, his dishonesty? Why does it matter that he seeks his own good at the expense of others? And why does God seem to reward that? And as I sat with this text, those questions started to resurface for me because there's a little bit of tension there. Does our good God reward Jacob's lies and schemes and manipulations? That is how we usually tell the story. And yet the opening scene of our text for today seems to indicate otherwise. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. It seems that is actually because of Jacob's heel grabbing that we find him alone at the Jabbok River. It is because of his heel grabbing that he has to flee from his brother. It is because of his heel grabbing that he never sees his father and mother again. It is because of his heel grabbing war with Laban that he must flee from his uncle with his wives and his children in the middle of the night. 
It is because of his heel grabbing that he is afraid to face his brother who meets him on the other side of this moment. Jacob, Jacob doesn't live a life of blessing. Jacob lives a life of alienation and exile. For 20 years, Jacob lives in exile because of his heel grabbing. In fact, Jacob's heel grabbing is the very reason that God picks a fight with him at the Jabbok River. Now, our text says that Jacob wrestles with a man, which is told from his perspective. The story is just kind of unfolding, and we're watching it through his eyes. All he knows is that there is a man picking a fight with him. Now, the book of Hosea references this moment and refers to Hosea 12. Uh, it refers to the man picking a fight with Jacob as an angel. Uh, he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. And so God sends an angel to pick a fight with Jacob, but Jacob is not easy to contend with. Because you don't fight your entire life with everyone and not become really scrappy and really obstinate and really, really muscle bound. I mean, he's probably got like biceps the size of Texas. Like he can fight and he literally fights to the death with a divine being. Think about that for a second. They literally wrestle until dawn. And as the sun is rising, the angel demands that Jacob let him go. And what does Jacob say to him? I will not let you go unless you what? Bless me, there's our word again, unless you barak me, unless you barak me. Now, up until this point, Jacob has gotten three blessings blessing spoken over him. The blessing at his birth from God promising that he would rule in place of Esau, the blessing of the firstborn that he stole from Esau, the Abrahamic blessing that his father speaks over him as he flees to his uncle's house. I mean, it's raining blessings over this guy, and yet something's missing. So much so that he wrestles a divine being all night. What's missing? God's actual fulfillment of the blessing. Why hasn't God fulfilled the blessing? Perhaps because Jacob can't seem to get it through his head that God's blessing isn't his to take. It's not his to manipulate and scheme his way into. God's blessing is to be received by grace, not grasped by coercion or force. The angel, realizing that Jacob is quite scrappy, finally goes for the low blow, pun intended. He touches the socket of Jacob's hip. Now, that's a rough translation for uh, the hollow of Jacob's hip. Um, I was listening to a podcast from The Bible Project, and uh, Tim Mackey, who's something like a public Bible scholar, says that to touch the Jacob in the socket of the hip, uh, it's so hard that it literally wrenches it. Like he, It literally wrenches it out of place. It dislocates his hip. Um, to touch him in the hollow of the hip, the socket of the hip, is quite literally to punch him in the groin. Like, this is like literally the first video sent to America's Funniest Home Videos. Like, like he literally punches him in the groin. Now, is this middle school humor? Perhaps, uh, maybe, but it's also a pretty brilliant insight. Why? Because Jacob is wounded in the very place where he's been trying to grasp or take God's blessing for himself. Jacob and Rachel, and literally, I mean, he marries four wives, four wives. He takes four wives to make himself into a great nation literally demeaning them to a ruthless competition with each other, sisters even, a ruthless competition with each other to produce sons for him. Jacob and Rachel will bear only one more son after this, Benjamin. It's the last son of the 12. Um, and it's entirely possible that she's already pregnant. Um, but now, wounded in the hollow of the hip, Jacob has no choice but to trust God. Wounded, vulnerable, alone, he finally comes to the end of himself. And when he does, something new breaks forth. 
The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome, you have persisted, you have endured. Wounded, vulnerable, alone, at the end of himself, and this is precisely, precisely the place where God meets him. But God doesn't just meet him there. God transforms him. You will no longer be known by your trickery and deceit, God says to him. You will no longer be known by the worst things you've ever done, God says to him. God gives Jacob a new name. And I think that's the blessing. Jacob and his entire family do eventually come to the promised land, but remember, they die in Egypt. It would be generations before God's people would become a small nation in Egypt, and still generations before they would be rescued from slavery in Egypt, and still generations before they would enter back into and conquer the promised land, and still generations before they would have a political nation with a royal lineage through David, and still generations before God's true barak, God's true blessing of freely bestowed grace and mercy through Christ would be proclaimed to the nations. But in this moment... I think Jacob learns precisely how to be a conduit of blessing rather than a remnant of the curse in the lives of everyone around him. And it's this moment, this moment that makes him, that marks him, that inaugurates him as a patriarch and not a second before. A very wise and brilliant professor of mine taught me that the whole point of being blessed is to be a blessing. That was the entire point of God blessing Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Rebecca, of Jacob and his family, and all the generations that come after them, and even you and I. It was not merely for their own sake or even for our own sake. It was certainly not meant to be grasped and manipulated, but rather for the sake of the nations of the world. So what is your name? That is the question that we wrestle with this morning. And our names are not just the names that our families give us, nor the names that we put on our name tags. In some sense, they're, they're not even just the names that we, that we pick up on the playground. They're the things that we carry with us, the things that become second nature to us, kind of like Jacob's heel grabbing and treachery from the womb becomes a part of him and even a part of the children that he fathers. Now, maybe we've experienced the heel grabbing of others. Maybe we ourselves are heel grabbers. Maybe we resonate with the envy and the strife of Jacob or the favoritism of Isaac and Rebecca. Or maybe it's the explosive anger of Esau that we resonate with or dishonesty and greed like Laban. Or maybe there are other ways that we have been remnants of the curse in other people's lives. Or maybe other ways that we've been wounded by people being remnants of the curse in our own lives. What I do know is that God meets us in the sin and the brokenness that mars us, that breaks us, and that alienates us from him and from one another. But he doesn't just meet us there. He transforms us there. And he doesn't just transform us there. He looks at us and he has mercy on us. And he pronounces the greatest blessing over us. It is because of Christ that none of us, none of us are the worst things that we've ever done. It is because of Christ that the brokenness in our lives, that our, of our hearts and our bodies and our minds don't get to name us. It is because of Christ that even the divorces and the breakups that nearly broke us, the illnesses that threaten to overtake us, the addictions and cancers and depression and anxiety and dementia and autism and paralysis and developmental disorders, none of that gets to name us. Rather, it is the new and glorious name 
that God bestows upon us, the name that is written on our foreheads, Revelation 22 says. And it's because of this freely bestowed grace and mercy that we can start new. Perhaps limping from God's fighting with us to transform us, or perhaps even a little bit broken from life in a fallen creation, but yet redeemed and transformed and blessed, not merely for ourselves, but precisely because we're poured out as a blessing to others, even in our weakness and maybe even because of it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so immensely grateful that we get to see your face. And because of that, we live. We are grateful that you take up the brokenness and the sin within us and you meet us there and you transform us. We are so grateful that you pour us out as a blessing for other people. We are so grateful that even the worst things that we've ever encountered and that we've ever done have become the seedbed of our transformation in you. It is because of Christ that we all get new names, even if we limp away in the process. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. In our response this morning, I invite you to stand. Let's sing together, remembering our true identity as children of God. Oh 
may be seated. When I was a kid, my parents were both teachers, and at the last couple weeks of August, the house would become a little bit abuzz, if you know what I mean, with the preparations and the anxieties for getting ready for school. Whether that be prepping the classroom or making lessons plans, we were all a little bit nervous about what was about to happen. I didn't realize until later that all of that extra work, all of those extra hours that teachers did uh, every year, uh, throughout the year, but primarily, or a lot, or maybe more focused in August, was not because they were going to get a bonus, not because they were going to get a raise or climb the school ladder of some kind of hierarchy of worth. It was because of their love and care for teachers or students and their desire to form the next generation. This morning, we get a chance to bless those same people that are a blessing to our children and to the next generation. So I'd like to, this morning, uh, invite, uh, on behalf of the teachers and the uh, administrators and the school support staff, uh, we'd like to offer a blessing to you for the blessing that you embody throughout the whole school year. So if you are a teacher, an administrator, or work in the schools in a support staff role, would you please come forward and stand in the front here, in front of the stage for a moment? I know there's a, quite a few of you, so you can come up. There are over 70 student, or teachers, uh, administrators, and school support staff at Fellowship Church. We realized this during the COVID era as we tried to bless these folks. Uh, and now I'd like to, if you're yeah, any school district uh, or, in, or any kind of school, I'd like to invite those that are retired teachers, uh, administrators, or school staff to come forward if you'd be willing and uh, be our hands uh, of blessing on these folks. So if you are a former or retired educator in any form or fashion, would you come forward to a minute? Oh, yes, we have a good crew of you. So if you are willing to put your hand on, uh, if the current teacher or teachers support staff administrators are willing, we'd like to ask the retired folks to put your hand on a couple shoulders if you're willing to as we offer a prayer. We're going to offer a prayer for these folks that was written actually by a local group called Movement West Michigan uh, that's seeking to uh, offer this prayer on behalf of all the teachers throughout our community. So we'll be joining with other churches this morning uh, in this prayer. Let's pray together. God of new beginnings, we pray for the start of a new school year, and we first and foremost pray for our teachers. We thank you for the heart in each of them to invest in the lives of young people, and we pray that you would encourage them in their work. At a time when so many teachers are burning out, we pray for renewed strength and energy for these teachers and the numerous others in our community. May they know how deeply you love them and desire for them to experience the fullness of life in you. We also pray for our school administrators. We pray for wisdom for the decisions that they make to guide schools of our community. We pray for healthy relationships between faculty and administration. We pray for student or uh, school staff for the important logistical work that they do to ensure good education can happen. We thank you for